Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages, it is me, it is us, it is we, it is I, Game Goblin, and... Darth Blasphemous, hail to the dark side. Getting back to our roots again with more Dungeons and Dragons and or otherwise roleplay content for all of you aspiring game masters out there and players. And do not forget we're on Spotify, Amazon, and Podbean if you wish to take us on the go to listen to whatever we have to say while you're at work or jogging or working out or lurking at the game store for those sexy sexy d20s oh yeah i like them when they're pink and new i like to put them on my chin and gargle noises d20s love that shit (laughs) so hot d20s gargling crit 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 Uh, fail you know they probably have that on like um other websites that won't sponsor us. Please sponsor us, Pornhub. Uh, but, you know, they probably have those on websites like D&D Porn, where people roll dice and make fucking noises. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure I'm willing to put that in my search history. Uh, well, you're a game master. Your search history's fucked up enough. True. Speaking of fucked up, now you wanted us to get onto this last week, but we had to dip into the IRL shit. So this week, mm-hmm. we're getting into what again? We are getting into aberrations and slippity, slimy, creepy crawlies in your D&D and, of course, other games. Creatures from beyond the stars. Ah, uh, so they're uh, kind of... Chthonic uh, horror isn't really the right word. What is it? Galactic horror creatures? It, it's kind of an admixture of both of them. Uh, you can say Chthonic is kind of like the precursor or the primary uh, inspiration. So in Dungeons and Dragons, anyway, of course, the most noticeable and recognizable, I would say, is either Beholders or Illithids. Because what makes Aberrations different from most other creatures is they do not breed normally. So they breed in weird ways. Abstract, unknown, unknowable. Or hard to define. Well, I watched this great video on uh, mind flares, and it turns out when they breed, they just create little like snake tentacle things. Yeah, they that end up burrowing into the brain of their victims. Yeah, that end up becoming a new mind flare. So yeah, they totally... story about how you seduce the mind flare. Okay, okay, okay. The body of the being it took over. No, actually, I did seduce a mind flare. Into sexual contact. I did have sexual relations with that mind flare. Consensual. Consensual, yes. In a hot tub, because my gnome was just twisted, and I was being twisted, and I just wanted to see my fucking GM go, <laughs> dude, not again. Squirm, squirm. Now, to clarify on the story, because I have received comments on it in the past, Lords of Madness had not been published yet. The process in which illithids reproduce was not canonized it did not exist okay this i'm an old school gamer all right we were this was back in the day when we had to play dungeons and dragons in black and white 
and, and you had to hide it from the satanic panic going on. Yeah, we had to hide it from our parents and teachers and adjust uh, the rabbit ears on our TV to keep the game clear enough for everybody to understand. You know, in between reruns of MASH and Taxi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes, I did seduce an illithid, but Lords of Madness, which expanded and elaborated on the reproductive cycle, had not been punny. Uh, had not been published. Not published. Therefore, the story is legitimate until that book came out and retconned my actions in game. But there's, <sighs> there's other stuff besides mind flares, illithids, and such. You know, what what what's a few that everyone would know at home besides? The Beholder, which apparently there are like 50 billion types of Beholder. Well, beauty is in the eye, 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 eye of the Beholder. Because he got 13 of the fucking things. Uh, one of the first things, and actually I want to clarify on this for our game masters, if you decide to include an aberration in your game that's homebrew, the first thing you need to do is come up with a messed up name. Okay, aberrations have specific naming conventions. You know, they don't usually have things like Dread This or Mega That. It's more or less kind of like the thing. Like a noise you would make when you drop pasta on the floor by accident. I will call mine Leslie. Yeah, you're like, boom, the pot fell. Boom, there now there's Leslie. That's my thing. That's kind of a joke name, though. Duh. Uh, yeah. But still, like... Although the references come out now and you can't get away with it. Again, old school gamer. Indrin, uh, oh, go ahead. It will be the guardian of the temple. I will call it Shirley. Shirley, you must be jesting. Shirley, temple. Yes. They actually came out one in Dungeon Magazine. Of course, this was back when D&D was still in black and white. And, you know, we had to walk to the game store in three feet of snow uphill all three ways. They had one where they were doing naming conventions, and they named the monster Slurm. Unfortunately, that name is now pretty much not usable, because if you go, oh, it's the monster Slurm, players are going to be like, oh, we'll just drink it. But that's kind of the point. Slurm sounds like kind of something fucked up. Like, you could call your aberration Schlork. It's, it's a weird, goopy name. Like, when your parents are having sex with wet leather bodysuits on that is the name of your aberration the immense emotion you have to such a sight with the sound effect that's its name and that's the response people should have to seeing it it's even worse it's your grandparents having a swingers event yeah like yeah walking into like a swingers orgy with my grandparents that is the kind of response players should have to walking in and seeing an aberration it's like seeing Cthulhu's left testicle. It's it's as horrifying as it is uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Whereas, like, undead are just pure horror. And demons are more horror with shitload of discomfort. Aberrations are kind of like that bridge between the two. They're discomfort yeah. and horror because they're unknowable. But does it always just boil down to just tentacles? No, it doesn't. What are some other physical examples of aberrants? Aberrations. Physical aberrations. The auntie. Yeah. They're snake people. They're basically anthropomorphic snake people. Uh, some have tails. Some don't. Uh, some of them jump out of helicopters firing blue lasers and red lasers and screaming cobra. But yonti <laughs> are technically aberrations. 
you have the uh, if you go back into the old stuff and God, I want to say Planescape, but it wasn't Planescape. Uh, or Spelljammer. Mm-hmm. If you go into Spelljammer, uh, Neogi are um, nasty. They have like eel-like faces and necks, spider-like bodies, long spindly legs. They're aberrations. And the aberrations also um, go from different sizes too. Like you have small aberrations. They're basically like your protozoa size, tiny, minuscule creatures that act more like a weird acidic protoplasm that eats creatures and takes them over, kind of like the thing. But you can fight it and get experience points instead of just die horribly in Antarctica. And of course, then you have everything in between. Straight up to cosmic horrors that devour planets. So, aberrations are all over the place. Uh, let's see. Aberrations. There's crab people. Oh my god. There was uh, the Otia. Yeah. Which players despise. Why is that? What do they do? Oh, they're a tentacle beast, much like the displacer beast, or the misplacer beast, or, uh, I'm sorry! I'm sorry! Yes, our, our fucking mascot keeps misplacing things. Uh, the displacer this week is, it is our fellow podcast mates that they displaced. Yep. Well, somebody doesn't have a job right now, and he forgot what day it was. Yeah, nice. Yeah. The other one has a job, and the other other one has a gob, uh, a gob... A job with the government. I have a job, but I specifically made sure it was Monday through Friday, just so I could still podcast. Yeah. Because I am... Desperate enough to still be lazy, I guess. I don't know. But the Otia uh, actually has been used in many games. They're, essentially, you hide them in refuges and trash. And they are uh, ambush predators by nature. Mm-hmm. So they'll wait in refuge and trash and in dark, dank, nasty areas. And when players pass by, they start like, Oh, well, there's a pile of trash there with a couple of gold coins. Let's start digging through it. Then you have surprise tentacle monster that leaps out and just starts eating people whole. That's one of the other defining factors, actually, of aberrations. Uh, they, they share a similar status with other creatures like dragons and so on, but they have unusual abilities. And usually these abilities are psionic or mental in nature, but some of them are just straight out weird. Like, it may be a creature, and by rules, a medium creature cannot use swallow whole on another medium creature. Aberrations tend to break these rules. And so you could have like a monster jump out that's basically like this weird skin flap tentacle creature or whatever that can swallow and eat a medium creature whole, even though it does not meet the requirements by the rules of being larger than a medium creature. Yeah. So aberrations can break rules in weird ways. So does that make um, not changelings, uh, mimics? Are mimics part of that? I believe mimics are part of the aberration family. In fact, I'm pretty sure of it. Because uh, they... Aberrations are one of those weird catch-all races that fall in between. And Mimics could have easily been classified as an ooze instead. Yeah. Uh, by their shape-shifting abilities. But I do believe uh, because they are living creatures uh, that have sentience, they are classified as aberrations. There are very few oozes that actually attain any sort of semblance of brain power. Well, of course, they have no discernible anatomy. They have no sense of self. Some of them do. They, they have like these little tiny ones that are actually a lot of fun. Uh, they pretend to be the person they're mimicking. 
Yeah. But they're about the size of a halfling when they're in solid form. And they're more comical <laughs> uh, for slimes and stuff. So they're what you want as your slime girl waifu familiar? No, it's more like a, if you want a slime familiar. You know, it's just fun to have around. It was like a talking point. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a slime waifu, that would probably be a bad idea. You'd burn your dick off. Mm. Slimes tend to be um, nothing but a rolling mass of digestive juices. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. A slime love doesn't last very long. <laughs> just, 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 yeah. I mean, it may be kind of fun, you know, to bump uglies with a bowl of pudding, but if that bowl of pudding is also 50% uh, stomach acid. The loving ain't gonna last. Yeah. So, yeah, Aberrations are actually really good. Have you run Aberrations in any of your games recently? Um, I've had a few, but they were just on random roll tables I had. And I had to kind of flub the terrain they came out of and why they appeared. A lot of the time it's just, oh, well, you see... Give me a perception check. All right, well, if you go on the other side of these patch of woods here, there's a cave entrance. And, you know, it just crawled out of the dark. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's really flubbing it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, it just, when you look up random roll tables for level, and you, you hit the, you know, general thing, it just gives you whatever. It's like, I've had to bullshit in a, um, a graveyard for, you know, a couple whites to walk out of. Ah, that reminds me of a story about the Wong brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two Wongs don't make a right. Um, <laughs> don't make a white, yeah. But yeah, you know, it's not uh, a usual enemy type I use, per se. Um, they're not usually in my bag. I usually go for more of the uh, outsider or demonic. I well, no, I haven't really used that many demons lately. It's mainly just I make... NPCs who are morally opposed to what the PCs are doing at the moment. Well, that's where aberrations don't really fall in line with your game, because uh, we went on this with the demon game uh, uh, you episode. gotta do it in the right context. You, can't you, you have to do it in the right context, so if you're going to go with aberrations, aberrations are best thematically used, like if you do a dungeon, the dungeon should be thematically towards aberrations, or if there's an invasion or an overarching story, it should be primarily aberrations. They're not an enemy to just sprinkle in all willy-nilly. Unless they're specific varieties. It's good to, of course, always read up on the monster manual. But a random illithid just showing up or a random yonti really doesn't make any sense. Because they're both sentient. They're both intelligent. And they have plans. And they have goals. They have hierarchies. They have societies. It doesn't make much sense. But, like, again, going back to Yotia. If you pull one of those in, yeah, you could just throw one in because they're pretty much, as far as aberrations go, they're lone wolves. Yeah. They're, they're ambush predators. They're going to wait all by them lonesome in a pile of rubbish and just wait. Uh, chul are much the same way in some instances, especially the lesser chul. You can just kind of throw those in all willy-nilly, sprinkle them in. It's like, oh, They're like you... goblins. You just throw them all over the place. They murder them, no problem. Uh, yeah, they just kind of like, one showed up, you know? Like, it climbed in through the back window because it was curious about something. They just tend to do that. But the more intelligent it is, the more you're going to have to think about, like, other races, how they react and interact with the party and the rest of the world. So, yeah, Neogi aren't just going to show up 
and start setting up shop. They have their own stuff they're doing, so finding one in a dungeon, unless it's like an explorer looking for specific items, which would be terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Yogi should be like doing their own stuff unless you go into a Yogi Warren. Now, what makes Yogi especially fucked up, and part of the reason why they're terrifying, is they um, they typically enslave those they consider lesser races. Which, of course, is everybody. Yeah. They're favored slaves to have around them, and they mentally control them. So, basically, they're puppet masters who keep other things on strings. Well, they're a favored slave to have around them, and usually a, a lone yogi will travel with at least two to four of them at all times. We'll have umber hulks. Jesus. Yeah. So, if you meet a yogi in a cavern... Guaranteed, you are in for a fight when four Umberhulks come just walking through the stone and start smashing you in, and they got those fucking hypnotic... That's another thing, is they got the hypnotic eyes. God. Umberhulks, again, just like all aberrations, they've got that cone of confusion going on, which is a, a very abnormal power for a giant, overstrong insect creature to have. So basically, they're ideal to try and port over into, say, like, uh, you're running an SCP campaign. Yeah, like if you were doing a D&D slash SCP campaign, Aberrations would be perfect. Mm. It's like, yeah, basically, there's no better way to explain it. Like, if you wanted to do a secure, contain, protect campaign where the Mages Guild is hiring the party out to capture unusual creatures out in the wilderness that are causing problems, I could think of no creature better than they go out and encounter... Some random nasty mutant crab monster and have to secure, contain, and protect it because they don't know what they're going to encounter. And Aberrations, uh, especially in the newer books, uh, especially in Pathfinder, uh, I'm not sure about 5, 5e, because it's garbage. But in Pathfinder, like they would give you mix and match abilities for some of the Aberrations. Yeah, you'd have a pick and mix. You'd have a pick and mix. Like some of them would get random rolls. Like some of them would get psychic powers to be able to telepathically communicate with others of their own kind, while others didn't. Mm-hmm. Which adds that level of players don't exactly always know what they're running into. Yeah, and that's part of the horror of aberrations is you don't know. It could be Cthulhu. It could be mini Cthulhu. It could be a kaiju. It could be an amoeba. You don't know. Mm-hmm. Just don't. So, yeah, Lords of Madness. God, you had to bring that up, my fucking gnome. <laughs> well, it's the only story I know you have that directly has one of those creatures. It directly does, but I just gotta say, I had a 95% chance of failing that roll. <laughs> 95% chance that I would get my brain sucked out of my head and eaten. It's one of the few times I've wasted a nat 20 just to be a dork. Can't believe I rolled a nat 20 to seduce a fucking illithid. <clears throat> Not that I would let that shit happen nowadays, or even do that shit, because that was just dumb. Oh, I'm going to take a drink here. Sorry, I'm having to direct message someone things about stuff in life. Oh, direct message stuff. 
we're podcasting right now. I can't carry the episode on aberrations <laughs> all by myself, except for the fact that your player characters walk into a dungeon filled with strange pearlescent goo all over the walls, making a shimmering cascade of colors as their torches light up the surrounding areas. As your player characters delve in deeper, the smell is strangely sickly sweet, like a combination of almonds, buttermilk, and bacon, all so around the garden, and left to rot. Yeah, someone opened a durian in this room. And then suddenly, you see a maiden chained to the wall, screaming for help. As your paladin and cleric rush forward to rescue said individual, her head splits open in half, revealing a fanged mouth, and grabs the paladin's head and swallows it whole, ripping his skull right off of his shoulders. Uh, wait, he took a couple levels and rogue. Can he reflex save that? No, that's how aberrations work. You just don't know. Was the room the aberration? Was the girl the aberration? They don't know when they first walk in. Aberrations, though, are best used, especially if you're doing cerebral horror games, in my opinion. Uh, if you were, of course, and we refer to this guy often, H.P. Lovecraft. If you're doing a Lovecraft-style game, Aberrations should show up near the last quarter of the game to actually make their physical presence known. There should be a lot of mystery. It, it, they are uncomfortable, and that's the point, is they're supposed to be uncomfortable when you encounter them. So... Using them all willy-nilly as kind of like cannon fodder monsters, I guess, is not exactly the best of ideas. Not my... Uh, I would say not. Unless there are a specific race of elves that were bred for war. You guys love those elves. <laughs> well, I mean... They were... Uh, definitely entertaining. Those elves... Or usually killed quickly. Usually. And you guys never once stopped to ask the elves why they would thank you when you killed them. Or why they would moan in lust when you killed them. Or why they would beg for mercy when you killed them. Or when well, you I killed figured, them they would commit suicide for fun. I figured I would leave that up to who was our dear fearless leader at the time who also decided that a sword was more important than keeping the game going and having an actual party. Yeah. The best laid plans. But yeah, aberrations are ooey, they're gooey. The elves in that game that I'm referring to, of course, for our listeners, um, were specifically designed to be the front runners. So essentially, uh, the aberration, the big bad evil guy aberration of that game was the event horizon. Mm. And the elves you guys were running into were essentially the hive controlled drones that were driven insane. <laughs> by the forces of hell. So it, it kind of had a little bit of a, a event horizon touch to it. I, I definitely will admit that. I was thinking that during it. But I also wanted to like up the creep factor and especially the way elves acted. So it was a little event horizon, a bit of the thing, a little bit of Hellraiser. Yeah. You know, so the, you, you guys were running into basically BDSM elves that were hive grown out of flesh bags. Yeah. 
and sent out as mindless husks to just attack people and that we're all communicating together psychically, which is why you guys had such a fucking hard time fighting them is because they were not plotting and planning like intelligent creatures would, but they were still a hive mind. Yeah. So the hive would maneuver as a cluster. Now, uh, what about that, uh, the flesh that was taking over the land? Would that be considered a, a giant aberrant? Actually, yes, that, the big bad, or actually I should say the big, big, big bad evil guy mm-hmm. was actually like a planet-eating vomit mass. Yeah. It, it was uh, kind of, that, that's where it started. It kind of not really, it's hard to explain because, you know, aberrations and all that. But my inspiration to begin with was Lavos out of Chrono Trigger, which is a extraplanar thing from beyond the stars that, Eats planets, which later, uh, I guess, was the inspiration for Genova in Final Fantasy VII, because they have a lot of striking similarities. Yeah. <clears throat> but then the up the creepy horror factor of stuff people haven't seen before is to see the land basically turn to flesh. Turn to flesh while a fleshy growth kind of. It's like reverse necrotization. Yeah. Instead of life being removed from living tissue and it necrotizes to make it creepy i was doing the opposite with the theme of this one so the the flesh would increase its mass over the land and turn non-living matter into living matter and thus it was converting the world into organic material then consuming it yeah so it was a world eater that had biological properties but was still way out there On, on a creative scale yeah it was definitely an aberration i admit that and it was, of course, really super powerful. Which you guys were mythic. I figured you could handle it. Apparently a certain dwarf couldn't and started killing other player characters because they disagreed over a cursed weapon. I'm sorry, haunted weapon. If you guys only had a cleric, you would have probably saved everybody's life. Well, I thought we had a cleric, but then someone decided to make the literal angel from heaven play another chintzy class. Even though he said he wanted to main being the healer and that stuff, which usually a cleric or paladin is great, but he wanted to chintzy it up, and I decided to be third string healer instead of picking something that could actually help in that regard. Because an occultist can do a lot of things, but I can't, I'm not a fucking cleric. Okay, yeah, that's true. So. Let's let, let's go through the uh, basic formula here. Let's say you're done making things because you got player characters in your group who have encountered pretty much anything you can throw at them. Uh huh. Right. So you've thrown your classic aberrations at them, uh, or you got players who are more experienced. They've encountered Chul. They've encountered Destrashan. Mind flayers, of course, are fucking a staple. You you can't have a D twenty game without one showing up to offer. Uh, some sort of challenge to the group, or at least try to eat them. And yes, Xenomorphs, I think, would count as aberrations because they're from space, not native to the home plane. Well, they're native to the home plane, but not the home world. Yeah. Aberrations, again, they could be multiplanar or extraplanar, or not planar at all. So, let's make an aberration, right? So, we're going to draw on 
making a homebrewed aberration. And the first thing we got to remember is what our group level is. If our group is... Level 6. Level 6. Okay, cool. Well, a Illithid is level 7 CR. That's going to be too powerful. But we're going to want to find something that's closer to him. A Neogi would... It's not in the newer books, but that's about a CR5 individually. But... An Umber Hulk falls in around the six category, depending on whether it's an elder or a younger. So we're gonna like we open up the uh, monster manual, take a look at the stats. We have to find one that's an equivalent baseline. Okay. Uh, this, this is pretty much for any monster, but with the way aberrations work, you can get a lot of creativity. Or we can take say an already existing creature and throw the aberration template on it and go willy nilly. But it doesn't fit our game. Like, say there's no psionics in your game whatsoever, and yeah. that I would understand. So, no psionics in your game. Some templates include psionics, some don't. But if you're making a homebrew, uh, let's say you go with Umber Hulk. Well, it's got the move through ground ability at 10 uh, feet per round. That's not going to be very helpful. Especially if you're doing an overland campaign or you're doing uh, castle uh, sieges. Even though a number of Hulk can just walk through the walls like the fucking Kool-Aid man. You might want to say your castle has um, rooms in it you want to keep sealed away until the, the rogue picks the lock kind of situation. Rather than, you know, you got to earn it rather than have the convenience of Umber Hulk. Oh yeah! Through the wall. Yeah, you know, you want to set a certain bar to, to get things going, not just fucking hand over the complete ass-fucking. But as far as thing goes, um, when you get the stats baselined out, you know, look at other creatures of the same power level. You can mix and match them. Uh, this works really great with dragons. Uh, mixing and matching, because you, you guys never know what the fuck you're running into when you see a pair of wings. But with an aberration, if, say, the... Uh, the theme of your dungeon is a transmuter who's been experimenting on living creatures. And, you know, a little human centipede action here is they want to take two creatures and put them together to see what happens. So the aberration isn't spawned out of some sort of multi-phasic variance uh, because Voyager flew too close to a goddamn planet or something. It's caused because there's a transporter accident and you get two Vicks. Who was actually strangely better than Tuvok or Neelix as a character? <laughs> it, it, it's stand and deliver, man. It's it's hitting me even like three decades later. A negative plus a negative equals a positive. I hate Neelix. I don't mind Tim Rust, but I just hate the character Tuvok. But you get Tuvix, and I'm like, you know what? I'm actually okay with this dude. He's a, he's kind of agreeable. He makes a, a well-rounded character. Neat. Uh, but regardless, you get a transporter accident, and you fill it full of your... Once you get the baseline stats, right? And your special power is basically like... Let's say you get the Russian doll thing going. You kill one creature, and another one pops out. So every battle is always a multi-battle. It turns out that somebody took, like, five halflings, put them in a blender, pureed it, and then stuffed it into a skin suit. And then animated it. And it gains sentience through, like, magical channeling through a ley line. 
So they're already using like magical energies that are existing. You create your aberration. The characters are fighting it, and when they kill it, uh, what's that movie? Slither. Basically, like shards of halfling meat jump out and attack players and try to infest their body because in order to stay alive, they have to live inside of a living host. So you have the parasite aspect. You've got meat monsters that are basically ground beef attacking people. Plus, you have the horror factor of, you know, what looks like normal people acting like normal people, that paranoia. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you run into one of these and they're like, oh, yeah, there's a great and powerful sorcerer who lives here and we got to get an escape from him. We need to leave now. How do you know if they pass every check you can do on them by the skill rolls that they seem to be human and the only way to prove that they're not is to split them in half and see if meat monsters pop out. <laughs> Trial by fire. And Trial then... by fire. And to make it worse, if you really want to ramp up to paranoia, have the evil transmuter make a clone of one of the player characters. So if your part if your party is dumb enough to split the party, have it like in your notes, seated in advance. If said player parts from group, like the rogue runs down the hall. Or the monk. Or the monk. You know, the evil transmuter, you know, turns him into a, a brick for a couple of hours, but replaces them with a meat monster. Hmm. And then, of course, you know, the player characters learn later on that, oh, meat monsters, you know, they look like people to begin with, and we got to test them. But then the monk starts acting a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. How do the player characters know? Especially if you don't tell the player character playing the monk. You just say keep on playing like you're normally playing. So the monk has no idea that they've been replaced. They're just playing their character as they would. And you start giving like the monk bullshit roles. Like they're going paranoid or some shit. So you can play the fear aspect of not knowing. So if you're going to create a monster, it's got to be weird. Of course, you got to give it a freaky name. So we got a meat monster filled sack of skin. Come on, give us a good name here. Mm. Come on, you can do it. Snagoth. Snagoth. Okay. There we go. Okay, listeners, now if you ever want to terrorize your players with a custom-made monster, of course, you're going to have to look up stats on your own. But remember, now you can use Snagoth free of charge, courtesy of the Blunt Force Gamers. Basically, transmuted meat puppets that have gained sentience and are filled with chopped-up bits of other sentient life forms. Parasites (laughs) that must live on living tissue to sustain itself once excised from its fleshy skin bag. Yeah. Snagoth. <laughs> hmm. I guess one of his special powers, though, is because once you kill, like, the original host, it would go into a second phase of being a swarm. Mm-hmm. So I guess... Imagine went... tentacled cockroaches. Kind of like little tentacle cockroaches that are, you know, hungry as fuck and want to stay alive, so they're parasitic as hell. But then, with their special ability, when they swarm attack somebody, would it be like a snagoth snuggle? <laughs> when it's a just big old bear hugs that can burrow into your skin. But yeah, I was just doing a little wordplay there. <laughs> bear hug by a tentacle. Pre- oh, God, yeah. Ah, yes, fisherman's wife. We've all seen it. Yeah. That would be like being attacked by, like, a crossbreed between piranhas and slugs. Oh. That, that's what the inside of a Snagoth would look like if I'm, I'm visualizing it right now. 
is like slugs crossed with piranhas. Okay, I was thinking more of like octopus crossed with uh, leeches. Well, you know what? Oh, God, that is nasty. I just visualized it. Like every one of the suckers is a mouth? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's actually really good. I was actually uh, I was imagining one of the flat leeches instead of the round ones. Mm -hmm. So that, that was just with tentacles on the side of it. You know, that's... Uh, I think that would get a, a player to be like, Ugh. Ugh. Or if I want to get at a specific player, I just say it's in clown makeup. That would be a specific player. Yes, indeed. Speaking of player, mm -hmm. I got said player's roommate a t-shirt for Christmas. It's the wrong size, but they can still make use of it with uh, their little carpet shark. Put the t-shirt on him instead. But yeah, it's a clown t-shirt. <laughs> so I guess if they ever want... If she, if the mother of the child ever wants that child left alone, just put a clown t-shirt on him. Bam. There you go. Problem solved. And then, Or better yet, put the clown t-shirt on him and then make him go wake up. <laughs> Our uh, associate. No, no, no. You paint their face and give them the shirt. Yeah. Yeah, but the, uh, when creating a aberration, though, you definitely got to be creative. You got to think outside the box. You got to think ooey. You got to think gooey. You got to get to that weird primordial horror of what aberrations represent the most, and that is the unknowable. Yeah, and that, that's definitely got to be one of the things when you do stuff like that is think... This thing could basically not be ever described properly. Exactly. Like, we were just having two different, very visualizations of what the aberration I pulled out of my ass would look like. Mm. Is it a piranha crossed with a slug, or is it an octopus crossed with a leech? It's kind of undefinable. Yeah. You know? And that's the way uh, aberrations should be, is they should really just be all over the fucking place for appearance. Oh, God, you... Uh, I'm not sure if you remember, there's a game where you've got these ants that you end up having put together, and it's like you gotta play the board game to get the pieces, and you put them together and you create an, an ant out of it. I just imagine that, but it's all like tentacles and, you know, carapace and all kinds of shit, that, and that's how the, the god who created the uh, creatures did it. Well, actually, you know what? Speaking of carapace and clowns and aberrations, it just struck me um, as a definition. Anyone who's a fan of 80s uh, really bad TV movies and stuff that's just so off the wall, it's great. Killer clowns from outer space mm -hmm. are technically aberrations. There you go. They're all physiologically undefinable. With exaggerated features, a host of abilities that defy logic, reason, and science. Like the scene where one's driving along down the street and uh, next to the cop car, but he's actually just got headlights taped to the bottom of his feet. <laughs> so he's not really in a car, he's just fly he basically he's flying. Yeah. So you got those weird abilities. Then you got the cotton candy uh, guns, which they just use silly straws to suck the blood out of people. Mm -hmm. And then you have the mega clown at the end of it. No two clowns look alike. Yeah. I mean, they do act similar. I mean, they have their own culture, obviously. They have their own uh, hierarchy, obviously. But none of them look alike. Yeah, and then, of course, you got Mega Clown. <laughs> and, yeah, they're, they're pretty undefinable. So, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I guess if somebody has somebody with clownophobia, 
in their game and can come up with viable stats for killer clowns, they can have them in their D&D game and it's still pretty legit. I know just the player to terrorize. Do you And I see most of my players, I know if I need to torture them, it's got to have a lot more legs and make a skittering sound as it walks. I am remiss, reticent, hesitant. I don't know. Well, I'm a word. Uh, I, I am big on, you know, the interpersonal aspect of gaming when you can get away with it, when it's comfortable for the players and the GM. I mean, sometimes it's not. I mean, everybody has their personal space, and as a GM, we always have to respect personal space between ourselves and other players. Mm-hmm. You know, there are things and boundaries that do not get crossed. And... But one of them that I definitely would love to cross is get, like, a piece of, like, get a jello mold that's kind of, like, oval in shape. Okay. And put jello in the fridge. Mm-hmm. And then put it inside of a uh, jerky-making machine. After the jello is solidified and had time to get that weird jello skin on the top of it. Yeah. Put it into a jerky-making machine for about half the time it's supposed to be in there. So that would be very interesting. So it's still so it's basically like a floppy gummy stick <laughs> in texture and quality, you know. Yeah. It's partially dehydrated jello. But then you know disgusting. But as I'm like describing like some sort of slime beast, you know, like the illithid walks up behind your character while whispering you know, secrets of power to you only if you help them out. And then I get to go get this jello, run it under the sink for a couple of seconds, just enough to get it uh, wet, and then just run it across some the back of someone's neck. Oh. Or down their arm. <laughs> you know, just for that little illithid tentacle action. That's a line I do want to cross now. <laughs> that would be so uncomfortable. Oh, I'm glad I'm not your roommate anymore. <laughs> No, if you were my roommate, still, I would buy, like, one of those three-foot-long gummy worms to do that with. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Wow, that'd be, like, an awesome idea. Get a pair of those. And then no, get, no, a, like, no, you a... get the five-pound gummy bear. No, no, I was thinking, like, a pair of the gummy worms. And then you could be, like, an edible Twi'lek. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that going too far? No, no, I'm just... You're fading out, I know. I'm fading out. I have been up since 4 a.m. and we're in the well into the evening. We are well into the evening, I know. I am trying to keep it fresh here. I am I'm, so I'm sorry, fresh. ladies and gentlemen, but I, I have had... So between work and IRL aggro... All right, well, while he's falling asleep, it's time for the Goblin Show. Secrets to scare your players into submission. First of all, you'll need a baseball bat, you'll need a power drill, and a handful of nails. I would also suggest grip tape because it'll help you keep a hold of that baseball bat. When a player rolls a nat one, remind them why a critical roll will succeed and be awesome, but why a critical failure will hurt. Especially when applied liberally to the kneecaps with, say, a quarter-inch uh, drill applied to the top of the kneecap in a 90-degree angle straight down. Oh. Oh, wait. Bad GM advice. Wrong show. I don't know. There, there's definitely a lot to be said for using the different types. Because we, we've talked about fate. We've talked about demons. 
and Devils, and I I really feel like I probably underutilize Aberrants in general because they're not usually my bag. Everybody has, yeah, it's true. Everybody has their creature that there's their default creature. Like me, like my most famous dungeon is constructs. Yeah, you know, constructs are my bread and butter. They're my meat and potatoes. Mm. I do love aberrations. I do love demonics and infernals, and I do love dragons. I do love fairies. Yeah, I can't believe I just said that last one. Oh, what a shit biscuit this episode is. I just said something that I never thought I would say. But there are plenty of creatures out there. I love Inevitables. Those really scare the shit out of players. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty of things. Everybody has their bag, the thing they gravitate towards most. But when you have to switch it up to keep it fresh for your players, uh, and you're going to find this out soon enough, because you're still you know, uh, in a very fucked up schedule thanks to the pandemic... But once things level back out, hopefully here soon, to keep it fresh, you're going to have to start delving into other monsters and, and figure them out. And aberrations. Well, a a yeah. big thing that my players have just done is enter their first dungeon for the MacGuffins that is the actual first major storyline of the campaign. Oh, the McMuffins? Yes, they're going after the McMuffins. They're going after the McMuffins. Uh, but. So they, they've already fought some constructs. I threw two constructs with off switches. <laughs> um, but now they're going to be entering a puzzle room, which I have had for the longest time. And it's great because who doesn't love a chasm with anti-magic fields and invisible walls that you can't see? In a room that if you turn on your uh, detect magic will blind you for about six turns yeah it's like staring into the tail cone of a fucking a rocket it will blind you for a while hmm it will blind me for a while so what I don't understand from the description you're giving here is this a very magical place right Yes, and it's got sections where there's anti-magic fields. Okay, so... So they're like dead zones in the cavern. Yeah, yeah, I'm just not understanding something here real quick. Okay, uh, so they use detect magic as a spell, and there's so much magic in the area that it practically just blinds them, right? It's it's like, uh, so you know when you're you're in a car at night, and you got those really, really bright headlights coming the opposite way? Uh, yeah, that's all the time, dude. Yeah, well, the, the darkness... Remember around... half photosensitivity? All lights are bright to me? <laughs> so all the lights, or all the empty space is the anti-magic zones. Okay. But the place basically has living, magical creatures. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm not understanding, though, is the invisible walls. Are they magically created invisible walls, or are they force fields? They, so basically the way that all this has happened is the ley lines in the area Mm -hmm. are pretty crossed and screwy because the big bad went and fucked with all of those to power himself. Okay. So this is basically a giant knot, and the only way they could keep that knot from exploding into magical horrificness was to insert a bunch of anti-magic zones like uh, fucking... 
atlas spikes in order to maintain its stability. Okay, because like for some strange reason, when when somebody's looking at invisible barriers, mm-hmm. and the invisible barriers are so powerful that the person will basically go blind. All I can think of is that whoever the big bad evil guy or evil girl is in this case, I, I don't know. Uh, whoever the big bad evil person is, uh, is actually trying to blind them with science. Yeah, a bit, yeah. Yeah, you knew I was going there, didn't you? Yep. <laughs> but, but no, basically it's like having a twisted nerve and you've mm. got some bone spurs in there. Mmm. Yeah. Yummy. Yeah, so the, the the puzzle they have to use is a mixture of magical and non-magical. And basically the invisible walls are there to keep them from just, you know, magic carpeting across for a, for a mechanics reason. So I'm basically trying to get them to do a smaller list of things, which I know is going to end up with them finding, again, the fifth path, the thing I didn't prepare for. You know, actually, uh, bridging two things together here, your story about the trap room and aberrations. I would suggest to any game master who's going to bring traps in, and you might be able to find this on the internet, uh, finding the books is rather hard nowadays, but I would definitely suggest Grimtooth's Traps. Yeah. Oh, yeah ideas for days, dude. And if you're using Aberrations or anything nutty, even like the Fae, mm-hmm. oh my god, they're perfect. <laughs> they they are illogical traps that are super deadly. Uh, one of my favorites is you walk into a circular room and the door in front of the room and the door behind basically is on a central uh, pivot point. Oh, yeah, geez. on an axis. So the door in front and rear both close together at the same time. So only one door can be open. Mm-hmm. So in order to open the door on one end, you have to open the door on the other end. So, yeah, it sucks. But you walk into the circular room, and once you reach about the halfway point, both of the doors lock closed. And, of course, this is giant stone slabs because dungeons are always made out of impossibly heavy materials that move on fulcrums. Yeah. Anyway, the center of the uh, chamber of the room is circular in design, but, like, you're walking through the middle of the barrel... So it's round around you from your perspective, not like you're standing in the middle of a circle that's flat. But the room is made of sandstone. And begins rotating. Mm -hmm. Eventually you're going to get tired. And when you get tired, you pass out. And the sandstone slowly turns you into red paste. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love Grimtooth. We call those jelly makers. Jelly makers. The flesh maker. So the flesh a man can get. Oh yeah, yeah. Aberrations actually play a, a really big role in a lot of games. We all know Cthulhu, and they allude to that in Pathfinder with Zonkuthon, because mm-hmm. uh, he's he was one of the nice, happy gods, and then he went to that place between stars where there is no light, and encountered something that told him truths that are beyond even a god's comprehension, and. He came back all nutter. Mm. Now he's the god of pain because, well, he's nuts. So, Pat, they, they, they play a huge role. There's even um, illusions, mm-hmm. not direct assertions, because, of course, we're dealing with cosmic beings here. So definitions get all wibbly-nibbly that um, Rovagug, 
in the Galarian setting is pretty much the living embodiment of a Chthonic creature, given mm-hmm. form. He's the overall god of destruction. Yeah. And even in popular media, if you want to give your aberration still more than they have uh, as far as credibility and definitive natures, something mm-hmm. that's more tangible that people can latch onto. So if maybe if your group, like half of them are HP Lovecraft fans or love reanimator or creepy gooey movies. The other half doesn't quite get it. Yeah. You can still bridge the gap by using say reapers. We've already dismissed them, but you can bridge the gap by using those as a template because they are physical mm-hmm. yet still weird looking with an overwhelmingly powerful goal and a lot of their abilities are like the indoctrination thing. They didn't really explain that well in the first game for good reason. It, later on, they elaborated on, which increased the lore. And then, of course, you learn that the Reapers were created by the Leviathans, who look very similar. Mm-hmm. But again, that's the that kind of weird mechanical created aberration that's unknowable, undefinable, thanks to Element Zero, which they never did explain how it really works except that you charge it with electrons and you can make matter reduce its weight in gravimetric mass so if you want a more down to earth but still overwhelmingly undefinable creature reapers are a good start for an example of creating new aberrations for your game okay but definitely taking a lot of the H.P. Lovecraft with a good grain of salt, because it doesn't all have to be, you know, shadows over Isthmus or whatever. It doesn't have to. No, it doesn't. Shit. Uh, Call of Cthulhu, one of the nice things about it, and I can't believe I'm going to say anything nice about Call of Cthulhu other than uh, the skill system, is a lot of the games are just investigating cults. Small cults. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like four or five people, maybe 20 it's not always an overwhelming end-of-the-world scenario. It's it's those little straws on the camel's back yeah. that your characters are dealing with, not the big problems. You're, you're basically uh, being a garbage collector, collecting the uh, garbage before it overwhelms all of the streets. That's one of the nice things about Call of Cthulhu. So, in the same way, in what, what you're saying is it doesn't always have to be Shadows Over Innsmouth. Yeah, you, you could always go for another way of looking at it, you know. Definitely branch out, because cosmic and body horror are big things. You can even just listen to a couple SCP events, or, you know, read the actual posts, and you could get plenty of information from those. Yeah, well, it's like I've been saying uh, for, fuck, the last few years, especially when we were back at the last convention before uh, <laughs> the coof. Uh, is you don't always have to keep ramping your story up to bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is one of the mistakes they made in Star Wars, is especially the new trilogy, is the First Order comes out of nowhere and it's a big problem. It's, you know, Empire 2.0. And for some reason, they're on the run, but they're so powerful that it can destroy multiple planets and no recourse of action. And in the next movie, the stakes get elevated even greater. The next movie, the stakes get elevated greater. It gets to a point where the stakes get so high. There's no point. None whatsoever. Why are people fighting if the stakes are so fucking phenomenally, outrageously bad? There is no chance. 
That's what happens when you bring Cthulhu in the game, is the stakes have got so high, you can't set the bar anymore. Yeah, it's like when you bring in a Tarrasque. Worst case scenario, you bring in Tarrasque and Cthulhu in power armor. The Tarrasque is essentially the GM's way of saying, this is the last battle I want to run for this game. Or pulling out the deck of many things and saying, this is the last, you know, uh, part of the campaign yeah, I'm that, doing. I would think that if a GM brings in the Tarrasque and Cthulhu has 20 class levels in Blackguard and is riding the Tarrasque as a mount, and the only way to defeat them is to draw a specific card on the deck of many things, the GM is fucking done. Mm-hmm. He is done with this game. Fully checked out and ready to go to Aruba for a while. Well, yes, that is an Elder God riding the Tarrasque. <laughs> Why do you ask? Oh, and all the treasures off this is just five decks of many things. One for each player. But you can draw uh, a minimum of ten cards. <laughs> That's the GM being done. Anyway, we're getting near the hour mark. Yeah, sorry about my low energy, folks. I real life things going on. Low energy? I thought you were um, mimicking the present select. <laughs> Except there's no children here to sniff. Yeah. Uh, inside voice. <clears throat> but but anyways, you know, there there's a lot that can be done, and we kind of want to make this a series of reviewing the different subtypes and categories. Uh, we'd love to do it with our other GMs, but real-life aggro is hitting us all, and well, I'm going to be checking out here for a bit, take a little vacation from the podcast, because one real big-life uh, aggro event will be happening. Somebody today. rolled a nat 20 on relationships. <laughs> yeah, I rolled double boxcars again. Double what, dude? Like, legitimately, I looked up the statistical averages of pulling off what you did. Mm-hmm. And it is not in your favor. No. I believe, uh, last I checked, it was 1 in 175,000. And I checked. She's definitely not an aberrant. <laughs> yeah, she's not an aberration, which is always a plus. Uh, yeah, so Blasphemous will be checking out uh, in a couple of months from our episodes because he's going to be running off to the hills with his uh, new barmaid. Uh, no, 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 no. She's not a barmaid. Or are you rescuing the princess? I mean, what are, what are we doing here? What, what's her class and level? Um, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, me and the... Me and the uh, only party member I actually like are going to go off on our own little adventure for a little bit, so I will be checking out. But well, this has all just become official recently. So to anyone wishing to wish us well, thank you to the few people who still listen. And it's the (laughs) only good thing I'm looking forward to this year. I dare you to send us messages of well wishes so I can break his heart. Or if you want to tell me it's horrible and things will fail, I dare you. Feed me, trolls. Um, Feed me. Yeah, I'll I'll just go on the Better Bachelor and ask his advice about your situation, and I'm sure he'll put a 20-minute episode ripping you a new asshole. (laughs) No thanks, people already fear the current one I have. Yes, we do. Anyway, that is all I've got. Um, where, well, where do I normally go? I'm, I'm old. Oh yeah, going back to my crypt. Uh, final thought for me, Blasphemous, just because things are changing and we are getting really close to opening uh, the fucking pop on Season 5. And to anyone listening, we would love to get some interaction, anything... Send us 
a fucking dick pic and we'll give it straight to Kaz. Whatever, you know. I would so love to give him a dick pic. <laughs> but, but like, we're, we're looking for interaction. And we know some people just put us on in the background and we're low fruit and all that stuff. But y'all really are the reason we do this. And shooting us an email, finding us on one of the few social medias we're still on, and just being like, hey... I didn't like the political episode. We're sorry. Hey, I really loved when you talked about this. Elaborate more on that. Or, hey, old man goblin, you're wrong because a book got published four years later that totally disproved your story. How the fuck does... Episode's over. Go home. Bye. Get in, loser. We're going to go sniff kids for the DNC.